0: So let's go to the Lord now. Father, thank you again for blessing us with a lovely day. We thank you for your uh, grace and your mercy to us and for the blessings uh, even of this morning and bringing us safely here and for the chance to be together uh, as brothers and sisters in Christ to study your word And then later to worship and even to commune with one another in the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. And we ask your blessing upon all these activities, these things that you've called upon us to do. And since you've directed that we do them, uh, as we do them in faith, we pray that uh, you'll build us up in our faith and that Christ Jesus will be exalted. Lord, we pray for the other Sunday school classes and ask you to bless them also. And as your word is opened and read and studied and discussed, Lord, uh, build all of your people up and and bless our little ones and help them to grow up uh, knowing the the doctrines of this faith of ours and and that that they would all embrace uh, this faith for themselves. We pray all these things uh, humbly, uh, but we also pray them confidently because we're praying them in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so uh, if you look on your handout, does anybody, everybody have the handout? Um, last week, we, we actually got a pretty good way down the list, but uh, we're coming up to some of the uh, uh, summary things there at the end and some of the the um, some of the nuts and bolts of how to d- address financial problems. So if you just want to, first of all, glance over the outline once more, uh, remember that uh, it, it, In the first place, we talked about marriage and the union of man and woman in marriage and how they become one flesh. And what that really uh, entails is a comprehensive oneness. Um, uh, I like that definition under 1A. Marriage is a total commitment and a total sharing of your total person with another person until death. And so that oneness has to carry over into uh, all of our finances and our view of finances, our use and our attitude toward money. Um, And then we looked at some uh, uh, specific areas in which finance can create tension in marriage, how it can create division. Um, And the fact is, uh, uh, finances, at least according to uh, most marriage counselors and and pastors, uh, finances is one of the most divisive Issues in a marriage and you know when when couples come for counseling or when they're they're having difficulty uh, Many times it it all goes back to to something about money something about wealth And some examples of those would be well. uh, How do we balance? uh, Savings versus spending, you know, how much should we save and what should we save for? and uh, whereas you know sometimes uh, one might be of the mind that okay if we've got money let's spend it I, I, I've been wanting this and we've got the money for it uh, let's get it and and then just decisions about uh, jobs um, are you going to make decisions about employment and where you're going to live based on primarily uh, financial matters you know How much does the job pay? What kind of benefits does it have? Or are you going to weigh other things, too? Not that those things aren't important, because they certainly are. But um, how does um, the actual location that the job is going to put you in, uh, how much does that figure in? I I can't help thinking of our younger son, who's in the Coast Guard, and of course he didn't really have any final say about where he goes. The Coast Guard sends him where they want him. But he's in a place where, uh, you know, the church situation isn't that great. You know, and if I could choose his location for him, I would not have chose that, chosen that one because um, there, are, there are a couple of okay churches, and, and praise the Lord, he's, he's in one and he's attending, but, um, you know, the situation there spiritually isn't as, as we would have it. And, uh, so, but that's, that's an important factor to consider when making employment decisions. And what about a school for the kids? What about uh, how close do you want to be to the family, the rest of the family, and so forth? Giving is a place, is an issue on which uh, husbands and wives are often in disagreement and we'll talk about that some more in just a little bit. But um, uh, And then how to spend on recreation, prioritizing uh, spending things, you know, do we buy the couch or do we buy the new truck, do we buy the boat or do we uh, get new siding on the house, you know. Um, <clears throat> so all these, uh, that's just a short list of examples and, and you can think of many others I'm sure. But. Um, If a man and a woman in a Christian marriage are going to be uh, unified when it comes to their attitude about money, their use of money... Then that unity has to be built on a biblical philosophy of money, and so we hit um, some some major points on that. First of all, remember uh, take a spiritual approach to this, and remember that it's God who enables us to generate income. He's the one that enables us to live and move and have our being to breathe, to to be you know to have the strength to stand up. And so um, you know we become self reliant and and uh, and all that, but. Um, Let's remember uh, it's God who enables that. And remember in the second place that everything we have belongs to him. Um, in the story of uh, Joseph in Egypt, you remember after, after the, um, the land of Egypt, because of the wisdom that God gave to Joseph, was able to survive that, that seven-year famine. Once they came out on the other side and everything, you know, the economy, the, you know, the crops started to come again and the economy got restored and and all that ordeal was in the past. Um, remember how much Pharaoh demanded of the people in terms of like, okay, you got this much income. How much of it was, did Pharaoh say was his and had to pay to Pharaoh? Anybody know? One-fifth. Twenty percent. Um... Five is a big number in ancient egypt and uh, um, <clears throat> but um anyway, Pharaoh demanded the fifth, and so for God to say uh, he wants a tithe is is actually pretty reasonable compared to pharaoh but um uh Let's see. So, uh, money is not the most important or most valuable thing. Let her see. There, um, we l- looked at a bunch of scriptures, and if there's time, we can go back and revisit those, just as a reminder that yes, money is important. It, it's, it, it, I don't mean to downplay that, and, and, and anybody who who does, I think is is kind of living in a in a dream world. We we need money uh, because that's how we get the necessities of life, but there are things more important than money. There are things more valuable than money, and we need to keep that in mind too as we make decisions and as we make have discussions uh, within our marriages about money. Um, And then, uh, letter uh, uh, Roman numeral four, covetousness is a sin. Let's remember that Um, tenth commandment: "You shall not covet." And it gives a list of things—just a sample list, a representative list of things we're not to covet. And hand in glove with covetousness is the sin of discontent and the sin of uh, worrying about material things. Um, <clears throat> contentment is a Christian virtue. Remember that. And it, uh, you know, we're taught in Scripture, you know, if, if we have food and clothing, to, with that to be content. Think about that a second and then think about how much more you have than just food and clothing and, uh, and consider yourself blessed. And um, before we launch into the part of the outline that we didn't get to last time, let's go to Matthew 6 and review again what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. Speaking with reference to our physical needs, which God knows that we have. God has no needs. He's completely uh, self-reliant, the self-existing one. Uh, But that doesn't mean that He doesn't understand that we do have needs. I mean, He created us. He knows that quite well. So, um, in Matthew 6, would some please read verse 25 for us? Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your It's not life more than and the body more than clothes. Okay, so um, don't be anxious about your life, Jesus says. Now, if you skip ahead to verse 31, would somebody read verse 31 of the same chapter?
1: Therefore, do not be anxious, say, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear?
0: Go ahead and read verse 32 for us, please, Mark.
1: For the Gentiles seek after all these things, your Heavenly Father knows that you
0: need them all. Thank you. I wanted wanted Mark to read that next verse because the second part of it speaks to what we were just saying a minute ago. God knows. He knows your needs. He knows exactly what you need. Um, But uh, you got verse 25 and verse 31 where the Lord Jesus is saying, don't be anxious about these things. And then finally uh, verse 34, someone. Last verse of the chapter. Bless you.
1: Or Do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious
0: for itself. Sufficient for the day is, is its own trouble. Thank you. Okay, so three times, just in the space of a, a few verses, um, you've got Christ, and and like I said last week, you know this. uh We sometimes need to scold ourselves, but I don't think we need to read this as Christ scolding us or looking down and saying, don't be anxious. I think we can take this as a a Savior who loves us, who came to give His life for us, saying, don't be anxious. I love you. I'm going to provide for you. My Father knows what you need. So when it comes to material possessions, wealth, wealth, don't be anxious about them. Okay, so Roman numeral five, we, we come now to Roman numeral five and here are just a few a um, few guidelines, a few recommendations about addressing financial problems in marriage. So if you're dealing with one now, or you know, if you anticipate possibly having to deal with one in the future, <clears throat> consider the following, please, when you address financial problems as a husband and wife. And of course, remember, that's also going to involve applying the principles of communication that we talked about in a lot of the um, previous sessions. The three, three weeks, we talked about communication. And so keep in mind those things that we discussed there. Um, as you sit down and talk about the money problems. But step number one, probably before anything else, uh, through um, meaningful, thoughtful discussion and and prayer, try to determine whether love of money is the cause of the problem. Is this problem being caused because one or both of us uh, are, are guilty to some degree of the love of money? Turns me to 1 Timothy, please. 1 Timothy and chapter 6. <clears throat> and look with me at 1 Timothy 6, verse 10. Uh, you may know this verse quite well. It says, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. I'm guessing most of you have uh, been in churches a good bit of your lives, and if you have, and you've ever heard anybody taught teach on this, I'm mad because I've done it too. So I'm, it's it's kind of a, a common preacher trick or teacher trick to go to this verse and quote it wrong, right, intentionally, uh, and say, you know, the Bible says uh, money's the root of all evil, right? And mm, people say, hmm, does it say that? I think I've heard that. Uh, and then you go to the text and read what it actually says. And, and the, the ESV, I think, is really an excellent translation at this point. Because um, it says, for the love of money, not money, but the love of money is a root, not the root, a root, not of all evil, but of all kinds of evil. Okay, so that's a far cry from saying money's the root of all evil, to saying the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Big difference, but uh, the point, nevertheless, is very important. Uh, when when a person has a, a sinful craving for wealth, a sinful craving for money, it can lead to all kinds of other problems. That that love of money in and of itself is a sin, uh, but then from the soil of that sin, or from the seeds of that sin, lots of other sins grow. So um, this is important, uh, and this is where self-examination comes in you know we're going lord willing we're going to take the lord's supper together and you know that when you when you approach the the lord's table uh, we're called upon to examine ourselves right and that means take a look at your heart see where you stand take inventory you know of your affections take inventory of your life and 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 how how it's lining up with scripture and of course um, that's something that we can do uh, beyond merely preparation for the sacrament. It's something that's a good idea for us to do on a regular basis, maybe even a daily basis. Examine your heart. See where your affections are. And, um, <clears throat> and consider, is love of money part of the problem that we're facing in, in our marriage at this time? And I stress, again, that it can be... The fault of one person, or the other person, or both, at the same time. Um, so, just keep that in mind. Because, you know, having considered and, and parsed out verse ten of First Timothy six, um, if love of money is the cause of the problem, then um, that root issue has to be addressed first of all. So what forms does it take, or what, what expressions does it take? Uh, greed, obsession with making money, and so on and so forth. But remember, too, that because First Timothy 6.10 says that this love of money is the root of all kinds of evils, uh, that it's quite possible, maybe even likely, that if... You know, after honest self reflection and self examination to discussion, you realize, you know, I'm struggling with the love of money. Then it's very possible that there are other related sins um, that need to be dealt with also. Any questions about that so far? Or comments, additions?
2: Throughout this whole series, you've been teaching, uh, you know, the Bible's view on this aspect of life or certainly, you know, these aspects of marriage and just keep around in my mind as you make it statement you did in the last couple of minutes, how uh, all these biblical, you know, instructions on finances, as well as all the other topics, it is so contrary, if not 180 degrees out from what the prevailing American moral viewpoint is on these things. I mean, some of the most famous people in our society are famous simply because of the amount of money they have acquired. Um, I mean, that wealth can make you famous and, and like, venerate people simply for making money or making more money. If if having money is a virtue, then having more money must be more virtuous. And we don't care at all about, well, okay, so even if they were successful and financially successful in this regard, what we don't ever care about is, well, what was sacrificed at the altar of finance? You know, like, what, what other areas of their life are... A complete dumpster fire. Uh-huh. Yet yeah, we don't care because man, they're they're rich and that is awesome. I just think what it would be like. How oh, is that rich? I mean, that's the prevailing mindset. and I have to guard against that all the time, which is venerating people who uh, you know display wealth and, and somehow I covet them. You know, uh, if I'm not careful. But man, we treat that as a virtue nowadays. Like wealth is a virtue. Man, how do we get so far from the Bible?
0: Well I appreciate your transparency on that and I guess we all would have to admit we wrestle with it some to some extent, you know.
1: I was gonna just add to Noah's like in addition to the admiration of them and their money, there's also like a temptation to assume that because they're rich they that they do have everything else too and yeah, sure. they usually don't. Like it comes at a cost. sometimes, if not most of the time getting to that point financially had a cost in other areas that were more important things were being neglected or forsaken uh, I think about being in church on Sunday uh, if you're working and you're here then you're not working on Sundays usually like I could be out there making more money if that was the most important thing. But it isn't, you know, just living in that tension of knowing what is truly best, even though the world would tell me, like, my family's going to be better off, I'm going to be more successful if I focus on working and income and being able to provide, um, whereas living in obedience to God's word is my and He meets all of our needs for us in the ways that He works out, um, even if you're not working seven days a week.
0: Yeah. Anything else? Okay. So, uh, find out whether love of money is is the cause of the problem or a cause of the problem. Letter B, <coughs> cultivate. A thoroughly biblical attitude toward money and wealth. I don't remember how hard I thought about the selection of the word cultivate, but what does cultivate imply?
1: Taking weeds
0: out. Taking weeds out. Somebody, I heard somebody say work. Those are both exactly right process it takes time you know this is something that we have to build up because you know when it comes to any biblical attitude about anything whatever is naturally in us in our flesh is going to be opposite that in almost every case so that means we've got to pull out the weeds and we've got to patiently wait for the growth and we've got to you know we've got to plant we got to water so um you 're not going to go from an unbiblical attitude towards wealth to a thorough going biblically adi- biblically uh, informed attitude about wealth in a few days' time it 's something that we just we work on we study we we, we we go to the scriptures and we learn what do they say about this what do they say about that and and and, and in time, I remember when I was a new Christian, I was so i guess Probably in to 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 some degree in a sinful way, envious of these more mature believers who knew the scriptures so well, you know, and they could answer questions so uh, so clearly. And you know, and I wanted to be like them. I wanted to know what they know, but it takes time. So, um, cultivate a thoroughly biblical attitude toward wealth and money. And that's going to point us back again to section C, Roman numeral, uh, sorry, section 3, Roman numeral 3 on your handout, uh, because that contains some major points on the biblical philosophy of money. And as I said, if we have time at the end, we'll go back maybe and and look at a couple of those uh, passages of scripture that talk about how, well, you know, Jesus said, um, what will a man give in exchange for his soul? You know, if you had all the combined wealth of, of Mark Zuckerberg and Bill Gates and, and who's the other big one? Elon Musk. Elon Musk. Put all their wealth together, liquidate it, and put it in a checking account for you, it still wouldn't be enough to ransom your soul. Multiply it by a thousand, it still wouldn't be enough. Your soul is precious and it's more valuable than money. And we could go on down the list, but uh, uh, Roman numeral three is is a, at least a good start uh, towards a biblical philosophy of money, but um, <clears throat> as we cultivate a biblical attitude toward money let 's consider a couple of things: number one, uh, saving. In other words, putting away for a rainy day, putting away for for particular needs in the future, uh, is a biblical practice, and it's a wise one. Turn with me to the book of Proverbs. And while we're turning to Proverbs, let me just say something that I'm, I imagine all of you already are aware of. But um, if you really want to start... Working on laying the foundation for a solidly biblical philosophy of wealth and money. The proverbs uh, are a great place to start. You know, study the proverbs. It's um, today's the second day of July. And you could double up today, and then for the rest of the month, read a chapter. If you've never done that before, try it. It's, it's just wonderful. It's, it's, uh, it's refreshing. It's instructive. It's humbling, but it's edifying. Read, for the whole month of July, the, the chapter of Proverbs that corresponds to the day of the month. And then get in the practice of doing that from time to time. Maybe you're using some other reading plan, and you know, you're already kind of tanked up on, on your, your daily readings. and Praise God for that. But um, try reading the Proverbs in a month, and, and look at everything it has to say about wealth, and about labor, and about saving, and about spending. But uh, what we have in chapter 13, first of all, verse 11, is, Wealth gained hastily will dwindle, but whoever gathers little by little will increase it. What's a way you can gain wealth hastily? Lottery. Lottery. Anybody done any of the research or read any articles on you know, where people who win the Mega Millions jackpot end up? Yeah,
2: there was that documentary. on you know, I mean, it's been 10 years ago now. It's been
0: One in prison the money just Yeah, yeah. I mean, by and large now some people maybe handle it and manage it better than others but yeah i think of uh, pro athletes you know these guys who who make it to the pinnacle of their careers they got million dollar contracts and you're thinking these guys are set for life you know if i could make for one year what he's making uh boy if i managed that i wouldn't have to work again another day in my life and um but but they they always end up having to work after they're done with their career i mean they're pro athletes your body only holds up at that peak level of performance so many years and uh and if they live extravagantly and don't manage that money well then these guys who are making millions uh in the limelight in professional sports then are destitute and you know or you know they Um, and so yeah i was thinking of the lottery too because uh, a vast majority of the time you um, you know people are playing the lottery and then and then win the jackpot you think oh they're good to go but they're really not because they don't know how to handle the wealth they don't manage it wisely and of course there wasn't a lottery in ancient israel but uh, there were cases where people would suddenly come into money you know, whether it's by schemes or by uh, you know maybe a dishonest dealing or you know maybe some upright uh, situation, but wealth gained hastily will dwindle. In other words, it tends to do that. Uh, in the same chapter, look at verse 22. Would someone read that for us, please?
2: A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, but the sinner's wealth is laid up for the righteous.
0: Okay. If you're a good man and you want to leave an inheritance to your children's children, what do you have to do? not spend it all not spend it all <laughs> yeah it involves having some savings um you know it's a good idea i don't think i don't think it's an act of unbelief i think it's an act of wisdom and 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 godly uh discipline to to have a, a, an emergency fund you know if you don't have one i'm not saying that you know <laughs> but i think it's a good idea to have some money socked away in case of uh, some big need that comes up uh, so saving is a wise and biblical practice. Just a couple of verses there. Uh, because back in 11 again, remember, someone who gathers little by little. Um, that's I think that's a reference, at least partially anyway, to saving. And it's a good thing to do. So saving is wise and biblical. Number two, spiritual wellness ought to factor heavily in vocational decision. That goes back to uh, Roman numeral two when we were talking about uh, employment decisions i remember being in a church um, years ago <coughs> pardon me <coughs> a guy he was struggling well i guess he wasn't struggling uh, but he wasn't riding high financially and he got a good job offer it would have set him financially in a much better place than he was the problem was where he would have to move himself and his family to take that job, uh, he wasn't aware of, of, uh, of a decent church in the area. So I think he, he really wrestled with the decision. And if I remember correctly, he ended up not taking the job. He decided he, Because he was in a very, very good church where he was. And uh, he decided in that particular instance, for his individual circumstances, he'd rather stay where he was with a more meager salary... But in a place where he knew that his soul and the souls of his family would be fed, rather than take this you know, higher-paying job uh, in a place where he wasn't sure what the spiritual climate was going to be for himself or his his uh, children. So keep that in mind, and it, you know if, if that's a decision maybe that uh, any of you are wrestling with right now, uh, weigh uh, spiritual wellness and weigh it heavily in your vocational decision. It's not the only factor, but it should definitely be a factor, and it should be a heavy one. <clears throat> Number three, Christians are commanded to give. So giving needs to be part of your financial plan and f- your financial discipline. 2 Corinthians 9 2 Corinthians 9, verses 6 and 7, Paul says, The point is this, Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So, at the very least, that text teaches that That as part of our Christian lives and as part of our worship and service to the Lord God, uh, we we are to give. Now if you look at Acts chapter 20, verse 35, Paul says to the elders of the church in Ephesus, In all things I have shown you. That by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how He Himself said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. <clears throat> now, if you've got a red letter Bible, uh, that last part of that verse is probably in red, right? Because the, the red letter Bibles uh, <clears throat> put in red the, the words that Jesus Himself spoke in His uh, earthly ministry. <clears throat> So that's where we get that phrase, it's more blessed to give than to receive. If you're looking for it in the Gospels, you won't find it there. But you find it here in Acts, as Paul quotes the Lord Jesus. Um, but you notice he's talking about working hard so that he can help the weak. And um, you know, our, that's part of what our tithes and offerings do. And if you know a, fr- a, f- a friend or a neighbor who's struggling, it's a good thing. If you have a little extra that you can help them out, Either by the loan or just a simple gift, but um, you know that's that 's another uh, aspect of giving you know helping those who are who are uh, less advantaged. And um, Do you remember when people were coming to John the Baptist and he was preaching, and they were being convicted by his preaching, and they realized their their lives needed renovation, their lives needed reform, and so they'd ask the Baptist, uh, you know, what what should we do? You know, a soldier said, what should we do? And I always found it for those of you who have served in the military or, or, or are, um, <clears throat> when it comes to this question of should Christians serve in the military, I find it very. Uh, telling and instructive that when Roman centurions came to John the Baptist and heard his preaching and said, "What should we do? We want to repent." What should we do? John didn't say, "Lay down your swords and live a life of peace." Their, their profession was an honorable one, and they could do it honorably before God. He said, "Don't." He said, "Be content with your wages." He said, "Don't oppress people." I don't remember. Do you remember exactly what he said? I remember he said, "Be content with your wages." um don't but basically soldiers had this right basically to to force people to do certain things and he's saying don't don't be like that and be content with your wages but you can go right on being a soldier um <coughs> Malachi and just about to finish up Malachi in the Sunday evenings But if you look back there with me at Malachi chapter 3, verses 8 through 10, remember we looked at this not long ago, and um, the prophet cries out uh, in God's behalf and says, Will a man rob God? We're in Malachi 3, starting in verse 8. Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, How have we robbed you? In other words, the people are asking God, How have we robbed you, God? And the answer is, In your tithes and contributions. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. Now we'll talk in just a second about some of the issues uh, surrounding the tithe. Uh, What time is it? six after. Okay. Um, But first, let's go to Proverbs again and look at chapter 11. I'm going to circle back to the tithe issue with this. Um, Proverbs 11, verse 24. Would someone read that, please? okay that's uh, that's divine economics for you right there mm-hmm. and um, and all I'll say because yeah I, I realize that there's contention even amongst very biblically educated people about whether the principle of the tithe is applicable to New Testament Christians or whether it was that specific amount was only specific to god 's people in the Old testament, and then uh, it's really uh, <clears throat> as somebody put it to me once recently, uh, no maximum, no minimum, just you know give it like in second uh, Corinthians uh, nine it says uh, let each one do as uh, as, as uh, lead in his heart uh, God loves a cheerful giver which he certainly does um, my <coughs> me. my position on the issue is that the tithe is a uh, is a um, it's, it's applicable it's relevant to Christian and tithe is sort of the baseline and that's why I think uh, I think that's been the conventional view for th- throughout most generations. And that's why you have that common phrase when it comes to the point in the off- in the ch- service where we take the collection or we you know, announce the offering. There's the reference to tithes and offerings. You see that in Malachi, tithes and contributions. Um, The tithe being the the minimum, and then the offerings being whatever's in excess of the tithe, if you're able to do that and you desire to do that. So I'll just say this, because we don't have time to to have a debate about whether tithing is for Christians or not, but I will say this. Over my lifetime, uh, I have met many, many people who have tried to make a case that Christians aren't required to tithe. I've heard the arguments over and over again. I've heard many. But I have never in my life met one person who ever said, testified to me that, you know, I was tithing and I couldn't do it anymore because I went broke. Or I couldn't make ends meet because of my tithe. Never. Never met anybody who said that. So I'll just throw that out. Um, So Christians are commanded to give. And then finally, it is not, and, and you know, I know some of you are pretty well off, so listen to this. It is not a sin to be wealthy. It's not a sin to be wealthy or to enjoy your wealth. Go back with me to 1 Timothy 6. And uh, would someone please read 1 Timothy 6, verse 17? Them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on <clears throat> the uncertainty of riches that provides us with everything we enjoy. Thank you. There's a lot packed into that verse. And I want to point out one thing uh, for starters. He says, As for the rich in this present age, in other words, the people who have the goods, you know, of this life, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. So, you know, similar to the, the case I tried to make a minute ago with soldiers, uh, the Baptist didn't say, and neither did Jesus. Remember, Jesus had interactions with, with soldiers. Uh, and he never once even hinted that, hey, you should really think about a different line of work. Nothing of the sort. Okay, so I take that to, to mean that being a soldier is an honorable profession. <clears throat> In this case here, uh, you don't see Paul saying, Hey, Timothy, I know you've got some rich people in your congregation. Tell them to give all their money away, because uh, they shouldn't have all that. As if somehow or another it's a sin to be rich. Because it's not. And if you look at the end of the verse, what does it say? God richly provides us with everything to enjoy. So people who God has blessed with means um, are within their rights and w- with the blessing of God to enjoy the benefits of having wealth. They're not to hoard it. They're not to uh, <clears throat> be stingy with it. They're, they are to give generously. And the thing is, that the more you have, the more you can give. And, and I think that's the Christian pattern. But th- the more you have, the more you have left over after you give too. So, and you can use that wealth to enjoy things even things that maybe the, the, you know the average person can't enjoy and it's okay scripture does not condemn that um, so it's not a sin to be wealthy or to enjoy one's wealth again remember in acts if you've read acts uh very many times at the beginning when the when the church the New Testament church was first born you had this phenomenon where everybody's basically selling stuff that they had and they were distributing to the poor and it even says at one point that nobody counted uh, what they had as to be- as belonging to themselves So it's almost it's it wasn't this but you almost get the impression that they're kind of living living communally uh, sort of 60 style you know everything belongs to everybody um, <clears throat> that's not what was going- going on, uh, and we could make the biblical case for that. But look with me at Acts 14, verse 17. God, uh, here, here Paul is preaching to, uh, to pagans, and, um, and he says to them, Speaking of God, the Lord, he says, He did not leave himself without witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your heart with food and gladness. In other words, these, some of these people were wealthy. They had a lot. They had prospered, and it was because God had blessed them. And that's Paul's point there. And he doesn't rebuke them for having these things. He, what, his, what he's trying to do is point their eyes toward the one who had given them all that. All right, any questions uh about any of that or comments? Um keep thinking if you, if you uh, we we've got a few minutes left and so if there's any discussion to be had I'm, I certainly welcome that but um my final um <coughs> word of uh just recommendation or counsel is that uh, if you are especially if you are having uh, any kind of financial struggles or difficulties in your marriage seek wise christian financial counsel i'll recommend a couple of specific ones Uh, many many of you have heard of dave ramsey Uh, he's written a number of books there's lots of materials available from his uh his uh, company, his, I guess i guess you could call it a ministry. Uh, I think he sees it that way. And I think in many ways it is a ministry, uh, including and especially what he calls Financial Peace University. It's a course you can get on DVD. You can watch those lessons. Uh, Dave Ramsey specializes uh, particularly in helping people get out of debt. So if you're wrestling with debt of some kind, he's got really great, step-by-step plans he calls them baby steps you know if anybody listened to his radio program yeah um and people will call in to his program you know they'll, they'll call in with questions and he you know he's he's really good at addressing specific issues for people when they do that but he'll also get calls from people who have followed his uh, who have taken financial peace university or have followed his program for getting out of debt and they'll they'll call in and say uh they're debt free and they get to tell their story, you know, how they got there. And then he lets them shout on the air for all the nation to hear, I'm debt free! And then he plays the Braveheart thing, you know, like, freedom! But uh, um, So Dave Ramsey, good stuff. Really, really good stuff. Um, and I recommend it. And he's a, he is a Christian man. Uh, and then speaking of Christian financial uh, advice, um, there's an organization called Crown Financial Ministries. Their website's right there. It's very simple, crown.org. Lots of great uh, materials they offer courses they, they even provide personal coaching if you want that um, so there 's lots of help out there, lots of biblically based faith based uh, wise Christian assistance available to um, to people and then, um, especially those of you who are members here are regular attenders, there are a few folks in this church uh, who who did pretty well financially um and they did it by hard work and if you want some financial counsel i bet some of them would not mind at all if you saying hey could you could you give me some guidance here i'm struggling a little bit or we're having a struggle here financially can you make some recommendations i bet you know i'm not gonna drop names but you know who they are um some of them anyway ask counsel uh you know let let your uh let your friends sharpen you like iron sharpens iron seek wisdom from a a godly person who has who who the Lord has blessed and who has done well David
1: I wanted to add to your point about Dave Ramsey uh, he also has an app that you can put on your phone called Every Dollar, and as you and your spouse you know this is a marriage class so I want to mention that it's a husband and wife operation here but um you can take every dollar that you anticipate receiving in a given month and then like break it down into different categories and track your spending through there. It's helped me and Sally significantly. And uh, so I would recommend it. It's on your phone, so you always have it handy. Um, so, yeah, that's just a practical point, I think. Great. If anybody needs it. Thank you. And then me and Jeff, of course, as the deacons of the church, if there's financial. Issues. We're happy to discuss
0: them. Also, everybody hear that. Um, not necessarily for anybody in this room, but if somebody in the church comes to you and says, "Hey, I'm having a hard time," uh, that's one of the that's one of the blessed ministries of our deacons. So, thank you. Yeah. Yes. I,
2: one last comment I'd like to make about, uh, and it goes along with communication. But uh, Kay and I have witnessed. Uh, uh, friends and acquaintances that uh, where the, the husband works and the wife works and they have struggled financially and, and uh, I believe that a good bit of it had to do with the fact that it's her money and his money instead of their money and God's money. There's a lot of communication uh, and attitude uh, development beneath it. When, when it's uh, his
0: and her situation. Thank you for saying that. And that really kind of takes us back to the beginning, right, about being one flesh monetarily in terms of your view of wealth. Because when it's, um, when it's his money, her money, they're like two degrees removed from, from a biblical view. Because uh, you, know, <clears throat> you want to get to, first of all, our money not my money his money her money and then from there realize it's all gods you know when it comes to a lot of things in terms of what god requires of us especially when when people are tend to push back against it or or, or dispute it i think you know well what if god demanded 80 percent? you know what would you do then But he didn't. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So it's all God's. I mean, he could demand it. And, uh, you know, like it says in Job, God gives, God takes away. I'll be preaching through Ecclesiastes, Lord willing, starting in the fall. And uh, in Ecclesiastes, it talks about how, you know, what wealth does? It has this weird habit of making itself wings, flying away. Lots of different means that that uh, takes place, but, you know, that's what money does. And, And I think part of the reason. God allows that is because uh, He wants to wean us uh, from that love of money to which all of us are prone. Well, it's time. Any other final closing remarks? All right. Thanks for being here. And uh, let's close in prayer. Lord God. We thank you that you do indeed give us all things uh, freely to enjoy. You give us life and breath, and um, everything that we have comes from you. Uh, we came into this world with nothing, and we can't take anything out, but we. Uh, we can store up treasure in heaven. Lord, teach us to do that. And grant us peace in our marriages uh, with regard to finances as well as other things. And um, Lord, bless any marriages in this congregation, in this church, where there, where there are issues and, and struggles and disagreements about finances. And help them, help these uh, dear couples to come to terms, to come to biblical terms together on these uh, matters of, of conflict. And to bless our homes, we pray, and we ask all this with thanksgiving in Jesus' name. Amen.